Hey, this is Greg. And Zach. Welcome back to the Harvestgate podcast. This week, how does Harvestgate church? Church in this context being a verb, an action, a state of being. Uh, we'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about supporting Harvestgate, specifically what is a prayer partner and how they can get involved and engage with us. Finally, we'll give you some details on an exciting event going on over the next three weeks, 21 days of prayer. But first, church. Uh, Zach, we talked about what Harvestgate is and what it hopes to be. Uh, we've talked about our mission statement and how that guides our thinking and our actions. But define church in the context of Harvestgate. Why do we want to do it uh, our specific way? Yeah, I would say first, before we talk about church the Harvestgate way, we first need to talk about what are the essentials that make a church a church. Yeah. Uh, this has been widely debated throughout the centuries. Um, I believe that uh, John Calvin, who was one of the reformers, uh, said that church is any place where the gospel is preached. Um, but uh, so I come from the Wesleyan tribe uh, of, of, of the church. And they recently put out a document called the Wesleyan Essential Ecclesiology to Empower the Multiplication Movement. Just a nice, no. simple title there. I was going to say, is that going to be on the quiz later? Yep. Okay, so make sure we're taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they they broke down what makes a church, uh, kind of the, the essentials of what makes church, church, into three categories. And they said this in their documents. He said, the early church adopted a term, ecclesia, and transformed it into a term for their Christian communities. Ecclesia in English can be rendered called out ones as a tool to remember the following questions. Those three words can be used as categories. They said those called out who enter discipleship, those discipled who live sent out uh, on a mission, and the unified ones living in authentic church community. So uh, let's break those three things down real quick. Sure. Um, just in maybe three question or some questions that we could ask ourselves: that are we uh, discipled? Uh, are we living out mission? And are we engaged in community? So, questions we would ask: Are people being discipled or called? Um, are disciples being equipped to make disciples? Are believers set apart as holy for special purposes by and for God? thus equipping them to understand and utilize their spiritual gifts. Is there accountability, uh, sorry, is there an accountability structure to implement church governance and discipline to ensure the correct doctrine is followed? Uh, three questions for figuring out, is the church living on mission? Are we going out? Mm -hmm. Are there celebrations and stories of individuals committing to follow Christ and being baptized? Is there intentional progress towards sending out leaders and reproducing new churches? Are there forms of outward-oriented witness to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly into the communities that are nearby, hard to reach, or far away around the globe? Maybe another way we would say it, to the dear, the near, the far, and mm. the hard. Mm -hmm. And um, are we living in community, or the ones, so called out ones? Um, are the gathered believers united in loving fellowship around the Trinitarian presence of God? Trinitarian meaning Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Are there times of prayer, teaching of the Word of God, and the Lord's Supper or communion? 
Um, are they all meaningful parts of church gatherings resulting in a loving witness to the world? Are there regular gatherings so that believers might band together to study and apply the Bible in their lives? And are non-believers welcomed into a relationship with believers and the church gatherings so that they might respond to the saving message of Jesus Christ and enter into the kingdom of God? So those are, those are questions that we, would, uh, that we have uh, considered as we process what kind of model of church we would do at Harvestgate. Right. And one of the things I didn't hear in there was uh, something specific about you've got to have this, quarter, this kind of building on this street corner with this kind of sign to attract people to, you know, get mentions on social media for your witty uh, poster, you know, your, your yeah. witty message on the, on the board every week. Um, you know, how is, uh, how is Harvestgate kind of taking those concepts about what a church is and just doing it in a house instead of a traditional church, you know, building? Yeah, so the model of church that we tend to understand here in the 21st century is what has been recently understood or, or described as the attractional church. Mm-hmm. How can we get all of these people out there to come to where we are in here? And this really goes back to Constantine. Uh, Constantine was one of the uh, – he was the first – and I use this Loosely, he was one of the first Christian emperors, uh, and he he made the Edict of uh, Tolerance, which essentially states that Christianity was no longer illegal and that it could be practiced. Uh, it was actually just freedom of religion in general. That's pro- that was probably yeah. helpful at the time. He then later got baptized on his deathbed. Uh-huh. But it was around this time period that they started building cathedrals and things like this. Um, now that Christianity... Um, you know, and now that it's the 300s and Christianity is no longer illegal, people don't have to meet secretly in their homes because um, uh, they're not fearing persecution anymore. So for the first 300 years of the church, the church gathered. Um, we read this in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, that they met daily in the temple courts. They gathered in synagogues. They gathered together for prayer and they met in one another's homes. And throughout the New Testament, we hear stories about to the church that meets in so-and-so's house, to the church in this city, to the church um, that, yeah, that meets in so-and-so's house. It's, it's a, there again and again and again. So we wouldn't say that what we're doing is new. We would actually say that it is an ancient model that's being rediscovered or, or reevaluated. It's... Um... It's an interesting, I think, way to approach it. I mean, you mentioned that it's, you know, the the thought process or the way that modern churches have gone about it for a long time is attractional. You know, look at this huge building. Uh, look at all the people that are here that are having a great time. You know, come, come to us. Uh, and we're kind of trying to take the opposite approach. We're trying to go to where the people are and to the community where they are to instead of inviting them to – a building, we're inviting them into our home and it's a more intimate setting. Yeah. So we would say, so there's, again, with this language of attractional church, there's kind of the counterpart to it, which would be the missional church. Right. How can the church live on mission? And this stems from, from Jesus's words, where he says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And this idea of seeking and saving, um, people aren't just going to come to you for the most part. 
Yeah. You need to go to where the people are. We would, we would call this incarnational living. Incarnational meaning to put on flesh, to live incarnate. Or it's where we get the word like carne asada. It means like flesh or meat, those kinds of things. So Jesus mm. put on flesh and became man. So he incarnated himself into uh, society. In the same way, the church, we believe, needs to reincarnate ourselves into society and not isolate ourselves. Right. And we read this in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus tells the parable of the wheat and the weeds, that uh, the wheat and the weeds need to grow together because if we try to uproot the weeds, we will end up uprooting the wheat as well. Um, so uh, we want to go and be amongst the people and invite them into perhaps the most intimate setting that we can, and that is the home. I think it's a, a really interesting way of doing it. And one of the things that has come up in conversation, like, you know, thinking about this topic uh, was how is that going to maybe influence or impact, uh, you know, more casual churchgoers. And, I, you know, I sort of point the finger at myself when I go to a church uh, and we've talked about how I've sometimes felt uncomfortable in that space. One of the things that I. Uh, look for is a way to kind of, you know, hide in the background. I don't necessarily want to engage with everybody or talk about things. I don't want people to ask me about church-related stuff. I'm just there to listen, to, you know, support my wife or, you know, to come listen to a message that you're talking about. Um, and I can sort of hide in the background and, and there's so many other people that I can, you know, go unnoticed. So, uh, a house church would be very different. You would assume, you know, you're not going to have hundreds of people. It's going to be a few people. How do you try and uh, bring in people that are, you know, maybe a little more uh, uncomfortable with church at large? Yeah. Well, Greg, what you're talking about, this uh, feeling uncomfortable in church and things like that and blending into the background, a lot of times this happens outside of relationship. You're not just going to go show up to somebody's house that you don't have a relationship with of any sort. That's true. Um, and so what might make this more comfortable for you is that uh, you have a relationship with me. Mm -hmm. You know that um, that you know the values that I have, you know the the hopefully the character that I have and the integrity that I have. And you know that I love you regardless as to whether or not uh, you end up believing what I believe. Now, that same thing might apply to people in a large church setting, in an attractional church model setting. Yeah, they maybe didn't drive by that morning and think to just stop in, but they knew someone who was there who invited them there. Yeah, um, but um, you don't know those people. Right. So you don't know whether or not they will stop engaging in relationship with you uh, if you don't ever come to faith in Jesus Christ. Right. Um, and so there's a trust that happens here. And I would say that what this model of church does, this house church model, is it allows us to engage more deeply in relationship. Now, this isn't going to happen, you know, there's probably not going to be explosive growth that happens. Um, we in, now I, I work in a 
what I would call a traditional church currently. Yeah, and you know, we're certainly not knocking traditional church, but I think we're trying to understand and also communicate to people that might be interested in what we're doing to why we're choosing to do it a specific way, why we haven't really talked about any like long-term goal to purchase a church building, that it is this sort of network of house churches that wants to build relationships. Exactly. So um, we we want to engage deeply in relationship. Uh, the early church was so devoted to one another that they sold everything as they, as there was a need and they gave as there was a need. Right. Um, and so let's say, Greg, that your car breaks down and you don't have the money to pay for it. This, this specific example is maybe a too, little too close to too home real, right now. That's right. <laughs> We've had some car trouble I lately. Just, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> no, that's fine. It's a good example. Um, but you might go to uh, your local church and say, hey, we, we, we don't have the money to fix our car right now. Could, could you help? And they might say, and this may not be the case, but they might say, uh, all of our money is tied up in ministry things. And right. we, we aren't able to do that. But in, in a house church model... Uh, you know, I think I've mentioned this before in a previous podcast. What we are looking to do is all the tithes and offering that comes in, none of it is going to go to pay me as the pastor. None of it's going to go to pay for the house that we are meeting in. Yeah, that's what the coffee house is for. Yeah. Uh, so 40% of what comes in will go directly towards what I call local missions to um, maybe another way to say that is to the deer and the near. Right. Whereas the other well, another forty percent will go towards foreign missions, uh, you might say the far and the hard places. So that might mean sending uh, a short term missions team uh, to another country. It might mean supporting missionaries in another country. It might mm-hmm. mean supporting, uh, you know, like in Puerto Rico when they had the hurricane that devastated. We could send money down to help in aid with that. Yeah. Um, so. to local missions, 40% to foreign missions, and then we would say 20% for operational cost. Um, By operational cost, what I mean by that um, is, we first of all, we want to be able to help start other churches. And Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we we may give money to other other church plants or to denominations to help fund what it is that they are doing. Uh, but it could also mean – so Liz and I, we had a small group that started with about uh, you know, three to four people. And over time, it grew to 30-some people. Yeah. And we got tired of making four or five pots of coffee. <laughs> so we bought a percolator, and now we can make like 40-some you yeah. know, cups of coffee. Um, so that's what I mean by operational cost. It might also mean printing, uh, like if we're going to share any material or buying books or Bibles for people or those kinds of things. That's yeah. what we mean by operational cost. So you mentioned uh, the small group, and we I think you talked about that a little bit uh, in a previous episode mm-hmm. as well. And one of the common questions that I've heard uh, is what's the difference between a house church and a life group uh, because they you know, they might seem to have like a similar focus. It's a smaller number of people in a setting at home perhaps or maybe they meet at a coffee house or something. What are what are we specifically thinking about? What's different about our 
uh, house church? That's a great question and a good one to wrestle with. And there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. Uh, we, let's talk about the similarities first. First, uh, we are gathering together for the sake of studying the scriptures, for prayer, yeah. for fellowship, for um, m- maybe, depending on the church uh, governance, um, maybe for the sake of uh, we, we do communion while we are there together. Okay. Um, where we probably differ is I have never been a part of a small group that gave tithes and offerings. That generally goes to the larger church. That yeah, the are. church that they're all members of. Um, and we we still give within our house church. So let's say there's house church A and house church B. They both give tithes and offerings, which tithe literally means a 10%. That's what uh, the biblical mandate, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so House Church A and House Church B both give their tithes and offerings, and it goes into the same pot. Again, none of that is going to pay a pastor or right. staff uh, or to buy, uh, or, you know, whatever the case may be. It's, it's not going to purchase things to keep programming going. Right. It's not keeping the lights on. It's not paying for, you know, musical equipment or... But it could be going to pay somebody else's light bill who's, who's struggling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, you know, there are many churches who have uh, benevolence uh, funds. Our, our church, community church in Newark, Ohio, has that. Yeah. Uh, where there is uh, money above and beyond what is uh, goes out for ministry, ministry, mission and ministry uh, to go and help people turn their lights back on or get their, you know, those kinds of things. Um, so, we don't want to say that other churches don't do this and we have it all figured out. We don't have it figured out. There's going to be kinks along the way that we're going to have to try to navigate through. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that we want to really celebrate in, uh, again, I want to point back to Acts chapter two, verse 42, it says, and all the believers or all the disciples, uh, devoted themselves. So there's this deep sense of devotion. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to fellowship. That's, uh, the act of, you know, growing in relationship with one another to sharing in meals, which includes the Lord's Supper or communion or Eucharist, whichever term you use, uh, and to prayer. Mm -hmm. So I have found a lot of times, excuse me, that there is a a good focus on teaching and fellowship. Prayer may be there a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And generally... Communion is not. We want to empower those, both laity and clergy alike, so uh, pastors and churchgoers alike, um, to to be able to perform communion. There are some denominations, some churches, that only the pastors or the priest uh, are able to perform this rite of communion. Right. Um, this is this is actually interestingly. This is a little side note, um, but part of the reason why in the 17th and 18th century, why um, uh, the Great Awakening within America happened, because after the Revolutionary War, all of the Anglican priests went back to England, and there was no one here to uh, to perform 
communion for the individual churches. Right. And so John Wesley came over and said, we need to do communion. It's, it's, it's commanded of Jesus to do this, to do this in remembrance of him. And there's no one here to do this. I don't care if there's a war going on. I don't care if there's a bad thing to happen. We need to, to have people do this. And so John Wesley went around and he empowered people um, and raised up leaders and raised up pastors and raised up, uh, you know, circuit riders to go and, and preach, yes, but also to share communion with people. So we want to, uh, to really engage with this idea of communion, not just the idea of it, but with the rite of communion, mm-hmm. uh, because there's so much beauty that happens uh, in communion. Uh, we remember uh, what it is that God died, uh, uh, that Jesus died for. Uh, we remember uh, and we join in his suffering. Uh, we join in his suffering so that we might join in his resurrection and in his life. We are sent out to go love and care for people. Uh, all of these things are found within communion, and we want to reclaim that. We also, again, will will have devotion to teaching, to prayer, and to fellowship. But my, that might be some of the things that differ from a life group to a church. And it sounds like, you know, a, a, d- trying to draw, like, comparisons and differences between them is not necessarily for the sake of validating one over the other, because I think they both have their purpose. But in listening to more about what a life group is, because I admittedly don't know a lot about it prior to this conversation, mm-hmm. uh, it does sound like a life group is is doing a lot of the things that you would want to do in church, but maybe giving you a more uh, interactive setting to do that, where you at church are there to listen to a message. And if you have questions uh, to try and understand more, to learn more, to dig deeper, your only opportunity for that is for maybe 15, 20 minutes afterwards, if you want to take the time to maybe compete for the attention of the pastor or somebody you know familiar with the message to try and ask them questions mm-hmm. immediately afterward. And that's kind of a, if anyone's ever hung around <clears throat> in church uh, for any length of time right after service, uh, it very quickly goes from a calm crowd listening to a message to an excited place where the kids are now running around and playing and, uh, and it's harder to sort of focus on that information. So maybe it, a house church presents you or a life group presents you with a setting that's better for really understanding and asking questions uh, and learning more versus, you know, just receiving a message, which is, you know, not to say that receiving messages isn't bad. Yeah. And I would say that, one thing that we tend to not do is communal learning um, and uh, the communal interpreting of Scripture. Mm-hmm. What we tend to do is we we relegate all of this to the people who went to school for however many years, to the pastors, um, and they're like, well, you just tell us what it is that we need to know, pastor. And Right. I, as a pastor, I'm, I'm sitting here like, no, no, you need, like, my job is to equip you to do the work of ministry. You also need to be able to interpret scripture. You also, like, it, it's not just for me sitting in my high tower to 
to do these things. Yeah. Let's do this together. And when bad theology and bad doctrine happens, let's correct it together as a community, going to the scriptures, looking at church history, looking at, you know, uh, you know, just different things, but primarily looking at scripture. What is, what is the Bible? What does Jesus have to say about such and such a topic? Right. We do this in community. Um, and we also, <clears throat> excuse me, we also have the opportunity to have conversations. We live in a world today that is so polarized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we could, you know, I don't know how many times somebody has left a church because of one snippet of something that a pastor said, never went back, had a conversation about that. And what they would often probably find is that that is not what the pastor was saying at all. But yep. they, they leave the church and sometimes they leave the faith altogether because they weren't willing to have a conversation. And so this is a great opportunity for us to come together and have conversation uh, and really listen to one another and, yeah. and even to learn to disagree with one another in a way that honors God and honors one another. And I think that's really what we're called to do. I think it's a, a really good point because so often you hear uh, a message that somebody's delivering or an opinion that they have, and you, instead of wanting to try and engage in sort of thoughtful conversation about that topic, uh, you just sort of make your decision, your judgment on what you think of that person and, and that you don't agree with them. And then that suddenly defines your whole relationship or your whole view mm-hmm. yeah. of that person. Um, you know, I think we, we're not defined by individual beliefs or thoughts or actions, but if you can give people the time to, you know, find common commonality, common ground in, in the things that you think or believe, then there has to, I think everybody has their beliefs for usually a, a good cause, a good reason. You know, you want something positive, but you disagree on how to get there. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and Greg, if I were to hold up a quarter in between the two of us, and I look at this and I say, this is a head. And you're like, no, it's a tails. And I'm like, no, it's a heads. I'm like, no, it's a tails. No, it's a heads. No, it's a tails. And we're like, we could, like, we could lose our friendship over it. Yeah, duck season. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> rabbit season. Um, <laughs> but like somebody standing on the side is going, dude, it's just a quarter. Just let it go. Like you're, you're arguing different sides of the same coin. Like it is like come together on what we unite on. and um, We can both agree that it doesn't go as far as it used to. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. That's true. So moving on from uh, from House Church, because I think we're getting an idea of how we do things. I want to continue on to something that we've briefly talked about in our previous podcast and is also on our website and on social media, and that is a prayer partner. So it's a, a, and I believe prayer and share partner, right? Yeah. Um, is the terminology that we've been using. Uh, what is a prayer and share partner? How does that fit into kind of both where we are right now and trying to launch this project and then long-term? Yeah, that's a great question. So we believe that everyone who is a follower of Jesus is all part of the same family. We're all a part of the big C church, or we might say the Catholic church. And I'm not talking the Roman Catholic church. Catholic literally just means universal, right. the, the, the church universal. So we are all a part of the same family. 
That does not mean that we don't have our individual tribes that we go to, right? Mm -hmm. So I attend, uh, currently I work at and attend Community Church in Newark, Ohio. I'm going to be, um, uh, we're going to be launching out to go launch Harvestgate uh, in Columbus, Ohio. So you might say, well, Zach's leaving the church. I'm not leaving the church. These are still my brothers and sisters who I love dearly. Yeah. And so we still want to stay in connection with one another. I still want to support community church because I know the things that they do. I love the things that they do. More importantly, I love the people there and who they are. And so a way that I can still support them is through prayer. I can pray for them whether I'm in Columbus or Nairobi, Kenya, or wherever it is that I am in the world, I can pray for my brothers and sisters and for the church universal at uh, wherever I am. And so um, the word that we use is, is intercession. I am interceding for Greg when I pray, you know, Greg's sick, I'm going to intercede on his behalf and pray, ask God for healing for Greg. Uh, in the same way, we know and we believe that we cannot do this church successfully. And, and when I'm talking successfully, I don't mean um, uh, a large attendance and a large uh, income. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about success. When right. I talk about success, I mean faithfully living out the call to make disciples uh, and, and to see the gospel spread throughout the world. We won't be able to do this successfully without a powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, what we learn in 1 Corinthians is that Paul says, some water, no, sorry, some plant, some water, some harvest, but it's God who gives the increase. So each of us have a different role that we play. So for me, I'm the, the lead planter in this church plant. Right. Um, Greg, you have a huge role in this. I mean, you're helping with the podcast. You're helping with a lot of media kinds of things. You're here to support. Um, you and Emily are financially supporting the, the plant itself. Mm -hmm. there's, there's just lots of way the, ways that you're engaging. But let's say uh, you don't feel called to move to Columbus. Let's say that you don't feel called to... Uh, give financially. Let's say that there is not anything necessarily physically that you can do to help support. Yeah. You can pray for us though. Yeah. Um, and that prayer is incredibly important. Uh, I, I would say it's far more important than the money that we need. It's far more important than the goals that we have uh, because um, what we need above and beyond anything is Jesus and his spirit to dwell inside of each of us, to give us what it is that we need. Um, and, and we're hoping to be like Paul, that we can learn to be content in whatever season we're, we're in, whether we have met much or whether we have little, but that we learn to be content. Um, and so we need prayer for wisdom. We need prayer for uh, financial stability. We need prayer for uh, for the lost, for those who don't know Jesus. We need prayer for opportunity to meet those people. Yeah. We need prayer that we would be people of peace as we move into the community. We need uh, prayer for relationships, that we would 
um, be able to meet with and network with people uh, who can introduce us to other people. We need prayer for finding the right location. We need prayer for um, the move when Liz and I move from uh, Newark to Columbus. We need prayer for team members. Uh, Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest for more workers. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's that's what prayer is. We're asking the Lord, God, we need more people. We need we need people to come in and help come alongside of us. Um, uh, as many things as there are to pray for in the world, we need all of those. But first and foremost, what we need is uh, we need the Holy Spirit because we cannot, should not, and will not do this without God going before us. Uh, if he doesn't go before us, then we ought not go at all. And we believe that God is going before us and that he is already at work in Columbus. Prayer and share partners are going to have, obviously, an important role to play. Incredibly important. How, how are we going to get them the information that they need to know You know what we specifically need prayer for? Yeah, so certainly you can subscribe to the podcast. Uh, it's a good start. It's a good start. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Absolutely. Uh, you can check out our website, uh, harvestgate.org. Uh, but we are also going to be sending out a weekly newsletter, essentially, uh, an update. So it'll have different prayer needs on there, uh, just different updates in, in general. So it's prayer and share partners. Mm -hmm. So we are looking for people to share what's happening uh, yeah. in the Harvestgate network. So uh, you can sign up for our newsletter. That's probably one of the best ways to get there. We haven't sent any out so far, but uh, I'm planning on actually sending one out today, which we'll have. And that's through the, uh, email, right? Yes. So uh, you can go onto our website. I believe that if it's the first time on our website, uh, there is a pop-up that will um, you can sign up for our uh, prayer and share newsletter. And we'll start sending newsletters out weekly. That's a way that you can connect with us. You can also, uh, we'll update you uh, from time to time on social media. Right now, we are on Facebook and Instagram, Instagram under the yep. handle at Harvestgate Network. So those are just different ways that you can connect with us. And of course, um, you can always email me at Zach, and that's Z-A-C-K, not Z-A-C-H. Zach. <laughs> not Zach, Zach, uh, at <laughs> harvestgate.org. Um, if, if, uh, if you needed to contact me to find out maybe specific ways you can pray, we, I would love that. Um, and you could also, another way is you can schedule a meeting with us. Uh, I would love to sit down with you over coffee or over uh, lunch or dinner. Um, if you are in another part of the country or another part of the world, um, I can we can set up a, a Zoom meeting or a you know we have a, the technology. We have technology. <laughs> Praise God for technology. Uh, I just met uh, yesterday with um, another church planter yesterday in Boston, and we are looking at maybe seeing what a partnership might look like uh, in another city. So uh, it's just really incredible what technology can do. Absolutely, it connects us all. Um, so it's, there's a lot of ways for people to sort of keep up to date on that. One of the things that you mentioned was, uh, you know, the ability of people to reach out to you specifically. I'd like to also mention, uh, if people have questions, topics of conversation, uh, things they'd like to learn more about, 
about Harvestgate to get in touch with us on social media. Uh, you can, of course, reach out to our Facebook or Instagram accounts at Harvestgate Network, comment on some of the posts that you see there. And if you have questions, you know, we want to start kind of writing those down and finding opportunities to talk about those here on the podcast to answer questions that we maybe haven't thought of, uh, topics that we haven't thought to discuss or wrestle with or or whatever. So if you have any ideas, please send those to us. We want to talk about those more. Um, but I want to move on uh, for the last few minutes here to talk about an event that's coming up that will be uh, something that maybe for somebody who's interested in being a prayer and share partner to actively participate in, and that is the 21 Days of Prayer. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so this is not a an uncommon thing. Again, not original to us. Um, but the other day I had a shower epiphany. I don't, do you ever have those, Greg? Uh, I think it's called shower thoughts, Yeah. right? Yeah. So, There's a whole subreddit for it. Yeah. So, um, so I spiritualize it and, you know, like I was praying in the shower and God yeah. just spoke to me. He says, you, if you're going to launch this thing, you need a, a lot of prayer. Um, and, uh, so what I'm calling you to is I want you to engage your community in 21 days of prayer. And so, again, this is not not a new thing. I, I wish it was. Oh, this is such a brilliant, uh, like innovative idea. Like lots of churches <laughs> do. Yeah, lots of churches do. Uh, Twenty one days of prayer, uh, but we're going to be sending out on social media probably today um, a uh, a list of uh, what each topic is for prayer uh, each day for twenty one days. Um, we are going to some of our team members may also be engaging in fasting uh, throughout this process. Um, and so if you would like to join with us in fasting, uh, that could be uh, you fast a meal a day and you you devote that time to praying for for us in Harvestgate. Maybe you fast from social media, though that would make it difficult to find out what it is that we're... <laughs> but we'll send it out in our newsletter. Um, there's, there's just different things that you can fast. It could be you fast from video games. It could be you fast from um, cell phone games, whatever it might be. That's something I'm kind of thinking about, a way that I can sort of participate myself, is I have a tendency to play games too much, too long, too many hours. And I've sort of taken a couple of days off, and I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. So I think it would be a cool way to, to engage through that. Yeah, and so uh, we're we're just asking people, and again, you don't have to fast. Um, we don't we don't want to be uh, dogmatic about that, but <laughs> we certainly welcome it if you would like to join us in fasting uh, as as we join us in prayer. Um, but uh, I I put out a a video yesterday on yep. social media. And it's currently the, on Facebook and soon, if I can format it correctly, to Instagram as well. Wonderful. Uh, so in that video, I talk about how uh, every day we're going to come together kind of not virtually, but just spiritually come together at 9 p.m. Uh, just for a, a time of prayer. Now, clearly, if you if you don't do it at 9 p.m. and you do it at 721 in the morning, that's completely fine. Uh, but I just figured... Uh, 9 p.m. is 2,100 hours um, military time. So we'll just stick with the 21 theme. Mm. Uh, there we go. And it's all connected. It's all connected. But uh, mostly we just we just really covet your prayers, that you would uh, that you would intercede on our behalf, maybe even pray about how you might specifically be able to partner with us. Maybe 
maybe God lays somebody on your heart who you connect us with, maybe who lives in Columbus, um, who is looking for a church to, uh, to, to attend. Maybe, um, maybe there's just somebody that we can reach out to and connect with them and just be a person of peace for them. Um, there's lots of different ways that you can pray. And like I said, we'll get those out on social media and out through our, our newsletter. But again, we covet your prayers and we cannot, will not, and should not do this uh, without a, a network of people, um, a, a fellowship of, of like-minded people who care about us, who care about the mission of God, and who care about um, uh, the lives of, of people to come and support and be a part of the team. Just because you don't move to Columbus, just because you may attend a different church does not mean that you are not a part of the Harvest Gate network or team. Uh, and you can be part of our team simply by joining us in prayer. Awesome. Well, that'll conclude our uh, our topics of conversation for today. Uh, it's been great chatting about these. We're excited to uh, find opportunities for people to get engaged and to work with us more and, and learn more about what's going on. Send us your questions. Email Zach. Uh, you know, I'm sure he might have some free time. He can get some, <laughs> find some other things to, to answer questions and uh, give out information and, and meet with you and learn more. So thanks a lot, Zach. It's been fun. Follow us on social media at Harvestgate Network. There are several ways you can engage with us and support the Harvestgate Network at harvestgate.org. You can subscribe to the Harvestgate Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you're as excited as we are about this project, please consider supporting us by sharing, joining our prayer team, or donating on our website. Thanks for listening to the Harvestgate Podcast, connecting faith to families, communities, and marketplaces.